0: Hey, um, I have uh, this is uh, week two in a series that we're doing called Divine Direction, and uh, it really came from uh, the thought came from the reality of, of knowing that there's so many people that are currently in a season where you're wondering what is God's will for your life. Where, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? You know, should I move to this place? Should I take this job? You know, should what do I do in this relationship? And and I'm uh, thinking about. Just what is the Lord's will? And so looking through scripture, I found multiple verses that defines God's will for our life. And I think that this will simplify things in the bigger picture. I do believe with all my heart that the Lord cares more about um, how you're walking with him than, than the ultimate destination. It's more about like dying to myself and moving in the right direction. If we're moving in the right direction, then we're getting to the right destination. And so... This message today is uh, really just right from Scripture. This is a heavier one for me, um, but I kind of like this for me. Um, I don't ever know how it lands on you, but uh, next week is uh, right from Scripture, the will of God. It's going to be a fun one. This one may not be. I have a question to kind of ask you to scale your heart for a second. Has anyone here sinned? this week. I'm going to read a scripture to you and um, see how this lands. If I was to ask this, I think most religious people would probably say no, but I just want to read you what the scripture says. If we claim that we have no sin, then we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. But if we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Ouch. All right. So before we jump into the message, I need everyone to kind of hear me. This message can be a good one for your neighbor. It can be a good one for the one down the street and your coworker. But if it's not for you then thanks for coming, right? So here's what I need. I need everyone to kind of search your heart for a second. Did I sin at all this week? And if you did, would you stand to your feet with me right now? Having said that, uh, welcome that we're all standing, I guess, right? Uh, Here's what I want you to know. Um, I did too, and I hate it. And I want the person inside of me to hate sin more than I do. I don't know why I'm comfortable with what I do wrong, but I know that the Lord is not. He came and paid a price because of the life that we're okay with. And this should not be so, especially in the house of God. God, teach me how to hate what you hate and love what you love. I want you to know you've been invited into a relationship with a God that sometimes hates things that you love and loves things that you hate. But we change for him, not him for us. This message is going to have three points. I'm going to ask you to keep standing for just a moment. We're going to have three points today, that sin is real and sin is really bad. That God is good and God loves us. And his direction for our life is good. And when we're done with all those points, I'm going to invite everyone to come down and be in the altar and ask that the Holy Spirit would fill this room in such a way that it changes our lives, that transforms us into what he wants for our life. And I'd ask anyone that wants to join that, to join me here in the altar as we together cry out for God and the power of God in our life. It's good luck becoming more like him without the Holy Spirit. And we need him. I don't know where it was that we lulled ourselves into a place of sleep that we didn't need the presence of God, but that needs to change. I'm going to read God's word for you today. This scripture hit me so hard. And here it is. I think you're going to love it. Please remain standing for just a second. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Man, this is a powerful verse, dudes. Dudes and dudettes, I guess, right? Here we go. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Man, that's powerful. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but rejecting God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Can we pray? (laughs) Maybe pray for your pastor. Hey, Jesus. Help. Amen. Amen. love you guys. You can be seated. I, uh, I'm thankful for everyone who's at home right now listening. It's, uh, it's been cool more and more recently, everyone that's been letting me know that they watch at home. It's kind of weird because I look around the room and I see faces and some people see me and I don't see you. So anyways, here we go. This is God's will for your life. What's God's will? God, what do you want to do in my life? And I'm thinking about that prayer and like where I want to go and what I want to do. And I'm and I'm thinking about how just different the mission of God looks than my mission. I want to be successful and have like... The, the all these like great things, and I, I feel like I'm not successful unless I get to this place. And I wonder, is that God's will just for me to be successful? But when I think about the mission of heaven, the Lord cared more about making us righteous than he ever did successful. He cared more about us becoming holy. Remember, as we look through the scripture as a whole... He wants the bride of Christ, which is us, to have a spotless dress and be without blame. And this is difficult for us. And I think sometimes we just forget about it. But in the scripture, God's will for your life is that you'd be holy. Let me just stop there for a second. Beloved, I care... That your heart looks like Christ. That's what he's trying to do is to transform you. And so these little things, I think of the verse in Hebrews that says, we have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding of blood. What he means is like you haven't stopped sinning so badly that it actually hurt you. Because we get lulled into this like sin feels good. And it does. And I think about some of the things that I've just done this week that I told myself it was okay. But let me just read to you real quick a, a verse from our Savior Jesus. He said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. Man, this verse. If there's some verses that like I'd like to take out of the Bible, it'd probably be this one. It hurts pretty hard. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43, you've heard it that the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm sorry, I don't want to do that one. I want to do verse 27. That's the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it right. I got it wrong. I was looking at the wrong highlight. You heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, then gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand... Even your stronger hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now this sounds like a radical statement at first, but what are we talking about? Isn't everything really come down to heaven and hell? And if everything really does come down to eternity, then I just want to remind us that we don't enter into heaven or eternity by our own equation and factor of what we thought was good. Because honestly, we're all doing just good enough to be a good person. But this comes down to like, what does he say is good? And what he's saying is, Man, you think that that's wrong. I saw it wrong when it was in your heart before anyone else saw it. It's wicked and it's wrong and you got to get it out of your life. Now, beloved, I know that Jesus has redeemed me, but he's still trying to cleanse my heart. He's cleansing my heart, cleansing my heart. Now, for the most... Part of this sermon today, I'm going to talk about sexual sin because that's what this passage addresses in First Thessalonians. He says that God's will for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Did you hear that? All man, this is tough in the world that we live in. Went to Publix yesterday. Was buying, was buying, a, I bought a pub sub and I got to the checkout aisle and there's people half dressed on a magazine standing right in front. I can't get away from I didn't even do anything. It wasn't even my fault. Get it out, Lord, you know? And I can't unsee what I saw. But it's there. All, stay away from all sexual sin. Now, here's the problem that I'm having with this is at the end here of this passage in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says anyone who refuses to live by these rules, you're not disobeying your pastor's teaching, but you're rejecting God who gives you the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets Interesting. Because I think that we think it's okay for us to define what is good and what is not good. I saw a friend who used to be a pastor this week on, 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 on social media say that um, I used to teach that all people are not wicked in their heart. And I just thought to myself, well, who who is wicked? Because it's easy when I get to say that you're wicked and you're wicked and you're wicked, but I, I'm... I'm not. I don't have any wickedness in me, because we all measure what we think is wrong. There's no wickedness in me. I I I know my motives. I meant to do good. I didn't mean to be a jerk. I didn't mean. But it was in my. It's in me. See what happens is we don't know what we 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 test things to see whether it's actually that bad. I remember it started in me when I was a young kid. I'd, I'd see if pot is bad. Well, it ain't that bad. And then you move on, because I can handle it. It's, see, I know, I, all the people said it was bad, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, it wasn't, it's not that bad. And then it, it gets easier. And then, and then something else, well, it ain't that bad. It's this. There's so many things that start it, knowing this is reckless and dangerous and hurtful and ugly and not good. First point today is that sin is real, and it's real bad. In fact, so bad, you got to cut that crap out of your life so you don't end up being eternally separated from God. So I'm just thinking about all the things that I knew was bad initially, but then it wasn't so bad. You know what? It's actually not bad. It actually feels good. It actually feels great. It actually feels, and it's still really dangerous for you. I think of everything from looking with lust in my eyes to coveting other possessions that other people have or, 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 or just my appetite to eat things that I think is pleasurable, my laziness. How about working too much? How can working too much, Pastor Tim, be a sin? Look at what it's doing and how much your family doesn't get to see you because you're so recklessly pursuing more and more and more and more. There's so many things that God said is bad, but in my heart, well, it's not that. But he said, if you disobey, you're not disobeying my teaching, but the Holy Spirit who initially let you know this is wrong. Somewhere along the line, we got numb to what was right and what was wrong. Check this out. What really scares me, especially among sexual sins, is we live in a culture, and you have to know, you can put yourself in any group of people that will tell you it's good. Mass murderers can find groups of people. I mean, let's go back to the to, to the Holocaust. And all of Germany convinced themselves that what they were doing wasn't that bad. They had a good reason for it. You can get yourselves around a group of people that will tell you what you're doing is okay. You must have a relationship with the Word of God. He will define for you what is wrong. Now, amongst sexual sin, the Internet's going to tell you it's okay. Friends are going to tell you that it's okay. culture's going to tell you it's okay. And I always think to myself, when, it, when the world, when the majority says it's good, let's think about Starbucks for a second. I mean, come on. It's not even good coffee. And everyone said, "I was the number one coffee? If you drank it, it's awful, really. But some after drinking it long enough, then you've convinced yourself that it's good. Wait, what did that it tastes like a cigarette? Like, that's awful. All right. That's good preaching right there. Listen, <laughs> let me tell you what Paul said in 2 Timothy that we have to be careful from, even in the church, and it's happening right now. Preach the word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 5. Preach the word and be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage. This is what God's telling me that I need to do. Paul's telling Timothy to preach, rebuke, correct. I'm supposed to rebuke you. You should feel a, little, a lot of bad today. It's good for you to feel bad sometimes. Amen. Because it allows you to feel good. Think about all the things that hurt that end up being good, like counseling, exercising, <laughs> discipline, eating, <right? laughs> forgiving. You know what I mean? Like, these things hurt. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but they will follow their own desires and look for teachers Who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear? And they will reject truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation and don't be afraid of the suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Some people want others to tell them that what they're doing they know is wrong, but they want people to tell them that it's good. Read the scripture. That's it. Like, you ain't even got to listen to your preacher. Just, like, just read the word. What happens here should confirm what you already know God says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. People are going to go after what they want and tell everyone it's good. Some preachers will do it with money. Like hey, we just like, hey, it's good money, money. Just bring more money to the church, more money to the church. More. Like and oh my gosh, it's so ugly and corrupt. And okay, I'm thinking about quickly the store. Oh my heavens! All right, sin is bad. 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 And it's real, regardless of what you see or what you're being told, it exists, and it's ugly. Now, I love Jesus, and I love Jesus' approach to sin. And there's probably no more beautiful story than the story found in John chapter 8. It's the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. It's a sexual sin. She was doing something absolutely awful. She was having an affair with another person. And they caught her and they brought her into public and they were going to stone her to death for committing sin. And they brought her to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, look, the law says we're good to kill her. How do you feel about it? I'm going to take you there in John chapter 8. The teacher said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses said to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap her into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he, he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote back in the dust. I love it. I love, Jesus is so cool the way he can get people to all the commotion and the riot to, to chill. What the heck he writing? Scripture never tells us. And when the accusers heard this, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then he stood up again and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one condemn you? What I love about Jesus is that this woman did wrong. You did wrong. I did wrong. We're all the woman in that story. He found me and protected me from everyone else. What I love about this passage: Who here is left to accuse you of that you've done wrong? No one. But he doesn't excuse her of what she's done. The next thing he says, he says, then he says, then neither do I condemn you. Uh, he says, no, Lord. Uh, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't tell her it's okay to go back to what she was doing. But what I love is that Jesus protects the person. Here in this room today, there are some already that you feel like garbage for what you've done. I've been there. And I love the way Jesus came to me and said, I love you. Don't do that anymore. Here's what you got to understand about the gospel. There's people that would, that would say things in such a way that's condemning to individuals. The coolest scripture in all the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have an everlasting life, right? The very next verse. No one knows. For the Lord didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He's not pointing at you saying, look at everything you've done wrong. He didn't come to say you're wrong. He came to say I'm right. I am the way. Follow me. Don't do it anymore. And I think about the conversation. Like when I used to, be, well, I used to work amongst unbelievers, and, and people would, the enemy would love to create havoc in a conversation about sin. They used to love to try to make the Christian look like you're self-righteous when you condemn sin. And I want to know, this is the way you approach a conversation. There's no person that is wrong. What they did was wrong. The Lord doesn't hate you. He loves you. He hates that act. That act is ugly, and it's dark, and it's deceptive, and it's and we want to stop doing the act. But He loves the person. You're not wrong. What you did was wrong. Do you understand the difference? When he can come over to the woman and say, I don't condemn you, don't do this anymore. I love the way he loves. I love the way he loves me because he doesn't quit on me. He doesn't give up on me. He's still there. And if you have a relationship with the same God that I do, he ain't giving up on you yet. And you can fool all of us, but you can't fool him. He knows what he's dealing with. Does that make sense? Same story, different verse. That was John chapter 8. Let me tell you, John chapter 4. Another woman who has ugly in her heart, it's always the women, you know? It's always always the women. Always the women. Father, (laughs) forgive me. That's right. I'm going to get it in the car No. all. Listen, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing, y'all. Come on now. John chapter 4, there's a woman who Jesus was having an odd conversation with. An odd conversation. This woman was a Samaritan. And they didn't really hang out with Jews. Just got to set the tone. And the Jews, and when the disciples see what's really funny about all of this is that religious people don't under, they they disregard the person. And you can't do that. I, I don't care what the label is. You put whatever label on it you want. Jesus sees the person. You can call it whatever you want. Wrap it in whatever you want. Poor, whatever, this, whatever grossness you could call it, fine. Jesus sees the person. And the religious people wanted to stone her in John chapter 8, and we think it was just the Pharisees. It ain't. Look at the disciples in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to this woman. I like to think of this as like, like Jesus and this woman uh, who, who had multiple husbands. And uh, I like to think of the same story as if it would be like a, a pastor hanging out with like a drag queen. Like, what? This doesn't, you guys don't, you guys aren't friends. Like, how did you you get here? This is an odd group of people. I love it because we belong together because we're just people. Take the labels off. We're all human. Watch this. I hope this lands. Second point, third point here is God's will in his divine direction. Jesus said to this lady, hey, go get your husband. And Jesus told her, she said, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. But he was really like, they had a great conversation. Like they were friendly. This woman loved Jesus. She went and told the whole city of how wonderful this man was. Because he showed kindness and love to her and truth to her. And just then, the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But This is a bad translation. All the other translations would say this woman, this Samaritan woman. Like, Jesus, I can't believe you'd be talking to that kind of person. That's what Jesus does, man. He finds sinners. He'd leave the 99 to go find the one. He's always looking for the sinner. They were shocked. What what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Remember when Jesus said, I didn't come for those that were righteous, but for those that were for unrighteous. He says, I didn't come for those that were healthy, but for those that were sick and needed a doctor. He was always looking for the broken and the outcast. So when you define what is wrong, be careful that you don't define the person because it's the act, not the person. There's a beautiful person in there. Just like if we caught you, can you imagine the stones that we'd be throwing? When the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to this woman. Meanwhile, the disciples started urging Jesus, saying, hey, rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. I want you to hear this. This is just a minute. We're going to invite you all down to the altar. Some of you are asking, God, what's your will for my life? And I think we've just gotten busy building our own kingdom, doing our own stuff. But if we're trying to get sin out of us by drawing closer to the Lord. And we're trying to do everything we can to reach the lost, to bring as many people with us as we go to as we as we transition into eternity. And Jesus said, This is the will of my Father. Hey guys, I just got done eating. Uh, I didn't see any ribs or anything here, Jesus. What were you eating? I am so satisfied because what the conversation I just had with this lady brought crazy truth. I didn't go into the story, but he just told her about the life and her ability to worship God anywhere she wants. She can worship here or there. God loves you, lady. I wonder, if you want to know the will of God for your life, build the kingdom. Declare to somebody in your life what is wrong and what is good. Have we recently told anyone that there's hope, that he loves, that he's good? You start telling people about the love of Jesus, I'll tell you right now, you'll be full. Your belly, you'll be getting excited. You're going to be like, man, you're on fire for God all of a sudden. You just had one conversation because it does something for you. Listen, if Jesus can say, I ate just by telling someone about the goodness of God, don't worry about where you're going we got to shift our prayers a little bit. I know some of us are worried about the job. Some of us are worried about the move. Some of us are worried about the relationship. (laughs) Worry about eternity. Worry about souls. Worry about the sin in your life. Worry about transformation. You start changing inside and caring about others the way Jesus cared about them, you're going to find yourself right in the middle of God's will for your life. But we got our eyes on a lot of other stuff. And when I'm looking at this verse and when Jesus says, I, I already ate. My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. What is God's will for your life? Isn't it the same as all of us? Aren't we all supposed to make disciples? Aren't we all supposed to be telling the world that Jesus loves them the way he redeemed me? The way he washed me? In church, let me just make sure we know. We can't tell anyone out there about the love of God unless you're first experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. So let me remind you back. The way you know God loves you is by you recognizing that you're not worthy. But some of us convince ourselves that we're great and this world out there is dark. And if you can't see the darkness in here first, you'll never see the light come and visit And that's with with that love that we take to this world.